0: we left off last week, so uh, join me in prayer. Well, Father, we uh, just come into Your presence, uh, Father, in Your holiness um, and in Your majesty. Father, we just bow in fullness of adoration unto You, uh, Father, in the fullness of recognition of, um, Father, Your graciousness in the salvation that we have uh, through You and Jesus Christ that um, has given us all. Um, for godliness Father, those uh, words sometimes just don't uh, connect with us um, our flesh is uh, so finite and uh, we find our minds going there as well and so I just do pray that as we continue in this study of Second Peter, Father, that it just stretches us, it stretches our thinking and continues to bring um, depth of reminders to us and to our hearts that um, Father, your plans are perfect, and we just um, acknowledge even today that uh, to be in your presence um, is so humbling. And I just do pray as uh, we share in this together as um, a group of believers that are very passionate about your word, but that we take it serious and uh, we value the, the time to be in depth with it, And to just bring application, but more importantly, it's the significance of the message today of that of further reminder and evidence to the truth itself. And so we just give you the praise today, and I pray that you would be honored and have all for our time of sharing together in your word, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are um, in your handouts. Uh, We are continuing where we left off last week and just by way of uh, sequencing here I'm going to uh, continue through this passage and I'm going to hold 19 and 20 and 21 uh, might depending on how our time goes I may open up an introductory comment about verses 19 to 21 but we're moving slowly through this and I was again reminded in my restudying and review again of The things that uh, I was going to share last week, I'm I'm again reminded of the fact that um, the Holy Spirit is all behind everything that we are studying. And this aspect of this inspiration and what today we will dig into is this compelling argument that Peter is going to share uh, with his readers and his listeners, and more importantly, even for you and I today, and the significance behind that. And as we go through it together, I want us to connect to that and to see the significance of truth for what it is, and our simple and faith in Jesus Christ to believe. I was. Uh, we had a time yesterday morning. A few of us met for breakfast and just talking about, um, you know, the, the teaching ministry at our church. <clears throat> and I was reminded of something that uh, CMG Jean Papa shared actually um, about an exercise that he went through, which was within the Gospels itself is that what gave Jesus the greatest pleasure. And in his study of going through all of the various passages, it was the simplicity of faith in Him. And so, when I think about that, and I couldn't stop thinking about that—how simple that was. And if you think, is this this when He was during His uh, earthly ministry? And that's really what it's about. And here we are today; it's no different. It is the same today. And that when we get to a a statement today where Peter reminds us of that, and this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, it says to hear Him. And there is this strong exhortation that comes at that statement, which is just simply to, to believe Him, period. In the simplicity of faith in Him. Well, as we've looked at this passage, we are moving slowly through it but we are progressing. And as we spent the, the first couple weeks, and I would like to go ahead and just read it again um, as an opener to us, because we're going to again just bridge 2 verses 12 to, through um, 20, uh, 15, but also how it bridges us through to chapter 2, which we will begin looking at in a couple weeks. Second Peter 1 verses 12 to 21. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind." For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from the God the Father, such as an utterance as to this was made to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him amen. Our reminder, and then today again, a, a, a drilling more into the eyewitness testimony of Peter, and then transitioning us into this aspect of our inspiration. Whoops. Our objective is to focus on truth. It's as simple as that. It is to focus on truth that God has given us. And As we experience life, and there are changes that are constantly occurring in our life, God's Word never changes. It is the constant. We need nothing new. We need nothing more. We need nothing else. We need constant reminders of the Word. The testimony of the eyewitnesses were fully credible. They were reliable. Nobody made up a story. Nobody fooled them. They were there. They saw it. They heard it. It happened. You can believe it. You ever have a story that maybe you were a part of and all of a sudden someone else tells the story and they sort of embellish the story a little bit? Got an example of that anyone want to share? You're with somebody, you both saw the same thing, but then, you know, when Mick tells the story, he always puts a nice little...
1: flair to it.
0: Add a little flair to it. <laughs> I tell the story. If <laughs> so tell it correctly, I do the floor. <laughs> I had one recently uh, at work, and it was a, it was a bad situation. Uh, how it got embellished, you know of course, and it was all in fun, but the way this I was having a discussion with a couple of individuals at at a meeting, and it was a you know a nice little healthy debate about a technical thing, no no nothing theological, but just a nice you know, business type of discussion. And we were kind of going at it a little bit. And so there were several observers to this, but they were at a distance and they were acutely aware that, boy, this was a little, this was a little tension that was going on between the two. You know, Dave's voice was a little bit, you know, a little bit of energy in his voice. And then you kind of heard the other two talking like that. And I just, obviously, I, I was aware in this discussion that there were several people that were watching this discussion. So I said, let's step outside. That's all that I said. Okay, well, excuse me, what was that? Can you do that again? That's what happened the next day. The stories got outside. All oh, the Lord I says, you should have seen. Last time meeting with Dave, he was like, he just told him to step outside. And he says, I had to get the, we had to get the police over there because I thought he was going to take him down, you know. The story just got embellished over and over again. I'm going, wait, wait, wait a second here. I have no idea what you're talking about. I said that we were going to step outside because I didn't want you guys to get in, hear this discussion. It was a private discussion. But Mick, you just fell trapped. The same trap is that you embellish the story. <laughs> well, I share that because it is our human nature to add a little flair to things. And why is that?
1: Just say it is.
0: Okay. Other thoughts? I, I like that.
1: it has to do with the story. <laughs> be the agenda, fix all the thought, be it an agenda. It could Right. It is.
0: Because it is about you. And that is really at the core. You're both right in that. What this is is when Jesus, it was always the focus was on him. And what he always challenged with those scribes and those Pharisees was that in itself, is that, that it was always about them. The rejection of Jesus was a rejection of the, of the Word. And so I want to, for the sake of this week and next week, I want to give you an exercise of just a reminder about something. When I ask that question of why, what is it? Is that what is behind that is me. And what is behind me is Satan. Okay. And I want you just for a beginning exercise to go all the way back to Genesis with me. Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to touch on this again next week as we get into as this build-up to these false teachers. Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more... Just see if you're following along with me here. (laughs) The serpent was more crafty, more cunning, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, I want you to observe a pattern here. And the pattern is that God gave a command, right? And what did the serpent do? He, he went, took it, a whole, he took it, he told a whole lot more behind it. And first of all, he did is that he rejected that. Do you see the rejection? And he says that God said that you will die. And the first thing he says, you will not die. Nothing's going to happen to you. So there's a rejection, and that rejection to the Word of God started right there. There was a rejection, and as we know in satan's m o it's always about him. The second thing that is observed there is that not only is it is a rejection of the word of God's command is that they there's an embellishment that gets on it in fact, it's like a benefit it's an added thing in fact, not only you're not going to die is that you're going to know as much as God. So it is a rejection, and then there is even an embellishment to taking it to this ad. I share that because as we start this next passage in here, where it starts off, where it says, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales. It is the cunningness, it is the deception that we saw all the way started back in Genesis 3. It is what is behind, it is what is embedded, and what drives what we're going to be studying in depth into chapter 2, and that is the warnings of the false teachers. So, I share that, and we'll continue, segue into that as again next week. And so this brief interlude in verses 12 through 15 that we spent the first couple weeks looking at is this interlude between what... We've learned in verses 11 to 13, and this is 16 to 17. And Peter again is saying, he's reminding his readers that they already know it. You know these things. And so he gives it to them by way of reminder. And it serves as this bridge that we're going to be looking at. And so we're spending, as I talked about last week, we're spending a lot of time in this bridge. We're stuck on the bridge. But the bridge is important that we lay that foundation of understanding in our lives from the standpoint of recognizing what is behind the exhortation and ultimately the warnings that we're going to see, especially knowing that the deceiver, the cunningness of it is behind that. And so the letter sets up, as we said before, Peter's last will and testament. Remember, reminders, Remembrance, all key words that we see in these opening verses of 12 to 15. And essentially at the core of it, it is this reminder of what you know, and that is the Word, God's Word. It is this biblical doctrine and the responsibility that we have as believers and the responsibility of those pastors of Peter to remind them of it. And so this theme of remembrance is what we see throughout Scripture over and over again. Not only from Jesus, but also from his disciples to their listeners and their followers, as well as Paul and his mission. So who needs to be reminded of? You and I, in that passage. It's specifically verse. And so for this word, therefore, it has us to look back at this inheritance that we saw in these opening verses in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. The service that we see in fruitfulness of our lives. Um, I love the verse in, in chapter 3 of, of of Second Peter where it says... And it, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. It is our inheritance, our fruitfulness, and then the assurance of our salvation. The reminder helps to to develop this stability, this firmness. I mentioned last week we talked about being horizontal, and being uh, vertical vertical and horizontal in our lives spiritually. And what Peter is talking about, this stability, this term, is this this aspect of going wide, of having a strong foundation so that we can be here vertically and to know truth. And so as we get closing out these first couple of verses of this, Peter is stirring them up. He's carrying this idea of trying to wake up these believers, to be spiritually alert, because it is his call and his responsibility as the shepherd to remind them of those, those truths. And why? Because his death was imminent. So I want to skip forward here to where we picked up last week in our evidences in, in turn there. Yeah, turn to second Peter one as we start where we left off. in second Peter, verse, chapter one, verses 16. Through 18. So we've read the passage, and when Peter is encouraging and exhorting his listeners and his uh, followers in there, it is regarding their faith in Jesus Christ and that God has this gracious, full, uh, fully, abundantly given them this complete provision in, in verse 3 that we told that we. Uh, so it's about growth, it's about maturation. And this messaging that he is going to take us through to 16 to 18 is going to be specifically about this coming of Jesus Christ. And this is the foundation of the teaching of the apostles. Reading it there. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For we received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory. I, I was trying to think about this aspects that we see in these two verses. At first glance, what it, from what you know already, just based on these passages, what is he referencing? When he talks about the fact that he has received from the God the Father... This glory, when such a voice came to him from this excellent glory that this is my beloved Son. What is he referencing, Peter? What do, what's your, your immediate conclusion on that? It, it, the transfiguration. And what we want to try to do is, is during our time together is that we want to say is that why would he reference that transfiguration? It was... A very, very critical eyewitness experience, right? That was unique to Peter, James, and John. And so, our our objective today, as we dig into this, what Peter's going to say is this: He says, Look, what I'm going to tell you is the truth, and that's all there is to it. It's just that simple. And so when we look at this foundation of the teaching of the apostles and prophets, Peter is going to get to this place and say, look, I'm going to give you, I'm going to build two arguments. So what I'm saying is true. The first argument is going to be what I'm saying to you, which is the fact that I am an eyewitness to what I'm going to tell you. And he references in 16 to 18 that transfiguration experience in some aspects of that. And I want to dig deeper into that. The second thing part of the argument which will transition us into next week, which is the prophetic word, the scriptures, the prophecies themselves, those two is all the evidence that is necessary so all that serves as is the foundations of Christianity, in other words, the foundations of our faith. I want you to go with me through something and I want to you've read through this first part of the passage it refers to how he starts about Cunning fables and stories, right? And then he gets into this transfiguration experience and what he witnessed. I'd like for you, if, if we could, and I want you to go with me to where Peter is at, to Luke chapter 24. So I'm going to skip ahead, if I could, for a second. You know, when you have an experience, it's personal, Right? And I would liken it to say is is that when I would share, for example, my personal experience with Jesus Christ when I was 18 years old. That was a, a personal testimony, right? And I'm speaking from experience in my own life of what God did in my life. That is all true, right? And that is unique to each of you as a personal experience. And you can tell that story. It's not a story. You can tell that fact, right? Let me restate that. You can state that fact. And while that is all true, what I want to share today is what Peter is going to say is is that I'm going to tell you something different about that. In other words, what I'm going to tell you about this transfiguration experience is not just a personal experience. It is a fact that serves as the foundation of our faith as believers. That of the apostles and the prophets. And throughout Scripture... It doesn't in any way negate that personal experience. And I want to share part of that personal experience with you and, and sort of the differentiating. In Luke chapter 24, we're fast forwarding, in, in, this is the, um, the resurrection. <clears throat> Skip down with me to, we kind of know what's happened, right? Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, uh, there were certain other women with them, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that that behold, the two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Read with me. Remember now. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Okay, there's a reminder. Remember how he spoke. These, these angels, and they're saying, Remember, do you remember how Jesus told you this? Do you remember how he was still in Galilee? He said these things, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day He rose again. Remember, they're, they're, even His own disciples, they kept rejecting that. It's like, no, 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 you're not going to do that.
1: like, so how do you
0: forget? We're going to get to that. Verse 8, here it is again. And they, what? They remembered. they remembered His words, and when they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven, okay, to all the rest, it was Mary Magdalene, jo- Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words what? Say it, read it. Their words seemed nonsense. And in the New King James it says, their words seem like idle tales, like a story. And what did they do? They did not believe them. Next verse, what does it say? Peter. But Peter. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Pause at this point. He pauses and so Peter runs to the tomb. So here is this story, this embellished story. You see? They didn't believe the story. And so Peter needed to go and check it out himself. And so what did he find? Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And read it out loud. And he, what did Peter do? Read it, someone. He departed Marveling to himself at what had happened. All of a sudden, I believe this was that personal experience that Peter connected with the facts. The facts of prophecy all came to a closure at this point, and he departed and he thought about it himself.
1: Kind of like a hierarchy of belief. Personal experience is up at the top. Then something you've heard from somebody you know and trust. Then down below that is something from somebody you don't know. That was the angel saying it, but they didn't know them. But the angel said, Remember his words, somebody they knew. That's more believable. Go ahead, Nick talking about things, but at
0: the time he said... He... In fact, just slide over on Luke 24, on Luke 24 starting in... Um, you have, you have the, the road to Emmaus um, part of it. And I'll pick up in verse 25. And then he said to them... Um, well, let me go back up over a couple of verses here. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us this is Peter and John that he's referring to, right? They were with us, um, found it just as the woman had said. So there again was evidence that was validated there, but him they did not see. And then he says, it goes on. Then he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. There's the prophetic word right there. Truth, fact. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, here he is, Mick. He expounded to them all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. Here is my my thought. What do you, How long do you think that time was spent going over? What did he go over? Did he go back all the way to like Genesis, you know? And I mean, was this like hours? I can only believe that he just started saying hey, let's connect these dots. Yes. it's It's, It's like totally awesome. And so I thought about this and going like, all the scriptures concerning himself, himself as the Messiah, all that was prophesied, going back, and it's like, oh, eyes opened. I share that as this example, and I think, Cheryl, as you articulated it well, the differentiation of this personal experience and the eyewitness experience that becomes a fact—that there's nothing to embellish. It's what it is. That simple. So all sure oh when we when we reference you know let me just read again I can't say it enough as far as the foundations of our faith you know of this. It 's the words of the, of the apostles and, and the prophets um, it's, it's the ephesians um, the ephesians 220 passage that now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom also you also being built together for indwelling place of the spirit here is this literally it's described as a foundation that we have i think you're you're right on mark absent a strong foundation we have cha- we we're challenged to believe and that is really at the core of the effectiveness of the false teacher we'll find the weak foundation. I, mean, I want you to see, in other words, if you go back to that Genesis passage with three, it's the cunningness, the deception of Satan is going to find that weak part of the foundation. And he's going to say, well, you know, you're not going to fall down. You've got some good footings in there. You're pretty solid. And then he's going to say, well, now, let me tell you the real story. You don't really need all of that and it's don't always believe all of that. So that's exactly right. So we all fall fall prey to that. This this letter is a warning for us. And in some of the passages we'll get to in this, it really brings this to this further level of of strengthening and the stability of establishing the foundation in our own lives. So this foundation, it's a fact. The fact of what Peter says. It's true. And so, as we go through the rest, it's simply just his evidence and assurance and the two lines of support. And I just want to again clarify, it's not his personal experience. He's not going to sit and just tell us about what he was thinking about when he went and departed and he was thinking that he was marveling. This is not what he's sharing with us. What he's sharing with you is Scripture and the foundations of those within that of the apostles and eyewitness, what he saw, as well as that. So it's the apostolic and the authority of the prophetic scriptures themselves. So the facts to which the apostles and the prophets testify are really the foundations of our Christian faith. We looked at the Ephesians 2.20, Romans 15.20 as another supporting Passage that uh, where Paul quotes Isaiah actually in, in in there a similar way too where I'll read that one since I have it marked fifteen I, I read the Ephesians two twenty in Romans fifteen twenty Paul writes and so I made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as is written, To whom he was not announced, they shall see. And whom you have not heard, shall understand. What he's talking about there is that he is building his message, what Paul is preaching, on the foundation of faith, the Gospels. And he's saying, I'm not building on any other man's foundation. And so the apostles, as we know, were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, both in his person as well as what they witnessed in the power. And we're going to get to this aspect of the power today. And so under the direction of the Spirit, God has preserved this record, which is this testimony that we have so that we might respond in faith to the facts concerning Jesus. Was it not these facts that you responded to in faith? What verse was it for you? What fact was it for you?
1: Paul said he's the worst. Paul a pretty standout guy. My, like
0: A verse for anybody? Stands out?
2: Oh,
1: all. Anyone else? Very simple. John 3.16. Uh, scripture to give the <laughs> <laughs> Scripture that stuck in it. Took me to the age of It was. It's so all was.
0: <laughs> Romans 5.8. real key verse for me. You know, God demonstrates His own love for us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for. Really connects at that point. Truth truth becomes very personal, and it's the facts, and it's always about the One. It's always about the One. It's always about Jesus. And that really is is what uh, is going to be the key parts of this. And I think that as we transition into um, aspects of discernment, is that it's always about Jesus. Always about the One as the focal point of everything. Because he is and what he has done because of who he is. So Peter's first line of argument is going to be based on what he saw and what he heard. And it's going to be in the context of the other apostles themselves. And as we see in verse 16 of that, it starts off with this word as for. And it's meant to really connect verses 15 and 16. And so therefore it kind of serves as a, remind, a reminder for us that we would be called to mind these things. And so it is this remembrance part of it. And the reason why is because they're true. And as these apostles, these prophets have passed on, we simply just have the record of these eyewitnesses themselves. And it is simply, it's true. Just as true and as valid as it was then, it is now. Back to 2 Peter. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that uh, I want to point out about this particular passage is that what is he talking about? What is a, the, probably the key thing that we see in just this first part of the verse? What is he talking about? Let's drill that down, Yes let's drill it down specifically and what part of the message about Jesus is really being called, is He, is he focusing in on, on force? It's in that verse. Talking
1: about it, when he came, like,
0: This power in the coming. Yeah. Okay? And so, first of all, is that one of the things that we want to, when we focus on uh, the eyewitness foundation, again, focus, is that any time that there is an attack on Jesus, it is attack at some aspect of his plan of salvation. it's somewhere, whether it's the rejection of him and his dying, or in this situation, what the focus what we see part of this is this aspect about the coming of Jesus Christ. When he says here that when he, we did not follow embellished stories. cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I need you, just for for the second, to go forward with me to 2 Peter 3, and I need someone to read verses 1 to 4, we're not going to dig into it, but I want to make a point here. Peter wants to make a point, not me. 2 Peter 3, verses 1 to 4, someone read that. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. Both of them I am stirring up your sincere fictions of the prophets and the apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are content as they were from the beginning. Okay, stop at that point. So what's happening? What's happening, probably, he's put this in his letter, so what's happening right now? They're, 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 believe, they're not even believing the full aspect of it, the coming of Jesus, which is the completion of this. So what the stories are being embellished about is, may not necessarily have been about his coming initially, but about his future coming, as in his millennial kingdom. They're telling a story, you see that that's what in three, chapter three there, is that they're they're saying, you know, look, it's been described this way, he's gonna come this way. Like if I was to ask you to describe in your own words the coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds, what would how would you describe it? In ten minutes or less. So you're gonna fill the ten minutes with a story, right? You're gonna embellish the story, it's gonna be like, oh, it's gonna be awesome, it's gonna be like this. Okay, it is this focus of this coming. And what is already happening, you can see, and the fact in chapter 3 he is saying is, is that it's already there. The stories are already being embellished out there about his future coming. Now, we mentioned here about this salvation stands at this complete attack, I mean plan, is that Satan will attack every aspect of the plan of salvation. And when you attack any aspect of the plan of salvation, you attack the whole thing. It's, it, it's, it's a complete, perfect plan. And so where he's at at this point is maybe Satan can't refute the fact that Jesus was here. Okay, that's over with. All right, there was the resurrection, right? Satan's okay. Okay, now he's going to go after what's yet to happen. You see that? We have the facts... And so an application for you and I is is that I don't know all the details of what it's going to be like, when it's going to happen, or what it's going to look like, but I know that He's coming. That's the fact. So when he says, we didn't follow someone's 10-minute story about the future coming of Jesus... Because what Peter is going to take us to is, that, you know what, I got this little glimpse of what it's going to look like back on the mountain. Saw a little glimpse of what it was going to be. So salvation is an eternity past, all the work of God through salvation, His birth, His life, and His resurrection. It, his future coming is going to be in this glorious power, right, of the Lord. And as you look at this, His coming again, was that not what Peter, James, and John witnessed? At least to some degree, just a little glimpse of His second coming, His glorified state. A lot of words there, fill in the blank. You just put what, you, what you'd like in your, uh, your hand out there.
1: It all continues, John. There's, there is no there's no change or there's no, nothing
0: This chair is going to be right there. It is not going to go anywhere, right? It's not going to, It's not going to just disappear. It's not going to float away. It's not going to come in the clouds. It's just as it is, unless of course I can do a trick, right? Which I can't do. <laughs> so you're, you're, it's a great point, Mark. It's as is. As is. And so what happens is is that when these apostles and the prophets, when they pass on in that verse, it talks about is the stories start to change a little bit. In fact, we've been waiting a long time for this future coming, aren't we? Long time. It's as it is right now. So therefore, I as a believer today confess I don't always focus on that then. Because I'm here. I'm right with the chair. That's a hard one. It's a hard one because it it gets right to that that core. Peter is simply just saying, look, this is a warning. And it is, again, sense the urgency, how compelled he is to share this because he, I believe he is that changed person. So what he was thinking and marveling, he got it.
1: Somebody devised tales or thinking about Peter, looking at it from Peter's standpoint, he saw the Christ come into town on a donkey, taken down to the depth, and then he saw Him ascend in majesty and glory. If He's coming again, if He continues on that upward spiral, what's it going to be like? He probably couldn't even imagine depth, the height of glory that was going to be coming in the second coming, because of the rise of Christ from that depth on the cross to the ensuing. Now he's going to be coming back in all of his glory. Amen. Uh, how Satan, even overly his tales,
2: doubt in that moment mm-hmm. on. I mean, he up that little question, you know, he, and he knows us well enough to know where those questions are going to, where I'm going to get. Started. Someone, not just me, but where we get that moment in time, whatever verse that was, spoken to you, firmly stand and believe That decision to... mm-hmm. And I, you can still get stirred up, <laughs> you know, when you hear something. Oh, that's what you, where you go with it.
0: Yeah. And so these cleverly devised tales um, means myth or muthos, <laughs> my attempt at Greek again. <laughs> cleverly devised, it conveys this idea of individuals who with cleverness of minds and this is important, with their minds and worldly wisdom. So it is self. It is earthly. It is doctrines of demons, is what Paul would say. And so Peter basically says, look, none of that happened. I didn't get pulled into any type of story. I didn't get pulled into any tale or myth. And so it conveys this aspect of, I didn't get lured in. So Peter is reminding everyone that that did not happen. So Paul exhorts us in the same way also, to have nothing to do with these tales and these myths. And so if you could turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, and I thought we would look at a couple of these verses of Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Someone can read that. Uh, 3 and 4. Yeah.
1: As I urged you when I went in Ephesus that you doctrine. to devote themselves to this and endless genealogy.
0: See, again, the contrast. What do they produce? You know, they, they don't produce godliness. So do you see the, the fruits of that. Skip over to chapter 4, verse 7.
1: Nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Now,
0: I mean, does that, does that mean like, I can't tell the story of... You know, like if... if uh, I'm reading a story to my grandson. You mean I can't tell the story of Peter Rabbit or something? Do you think that's what it means? No, it's, it's
1: something that points out. I think that I was saying the same thing because like, oh. like yeah, that stuff. But it pointed to God. You know what I mean? To see is God, Godless, and, like, truth, and, and based off of truth and in fact that those are the God. I don't think that's I think you're right that. on. I, I man, it's not a slam
0: on the old, you know, on the grandmas, <laughs> you know, the old wives. It's not a slam on that. But it is, from the standpoint of differentiating that as it relates to the public ministry and the teaching itself of, you know, in the church, the ministry of the church. It's
1: like those things that are raised salt, you know, whatever the underpinnings are.
2: Around this a little bit, but you know, it's almost like when you're sharing, sharing with someone, you know, we're to share the facts of the gospel. Period. So how often we go off on rabbit trails, and in those rabbit trails. You know our worst arguments. You know it was where the debate happened. Well, you know if this, it's just you can just I can hear the many conversations I've had that have gone away from pointing someone to Jesus, but that I am a sinner, that I, you know, just the fact, and go off and argue all kinds of other cultural and I mean just social even you just want
0: to do that kind of stuff in, in that we get messed up and bat on some of this a little well I, bit. I, I i do is if if it if it confuse see you're what you're doing is you're mixing the gospel with something and i think that's right. where you first of all we don't have we're just an instrument right so god does the takes the word and makes it alive and personal but yet I think the directive is that it's pretty clear. Just keep it to the simple message. Don't try to embellish the message any. At the same time, I think that when you let's let's use some of the we use examples of things. Mm -hmm. Jesus taught in parables because that's where I connect with it. And in no way did he Does you compromise the message?
1: It's truth. Always underlying thing. Parables like old stories to tell you the truth of how what should happen or what like who he is and stuff like that. it's story centered around that and like the actual fact, you know what I mean? I think if, like you said you can relate to it, or you can like communicate you know, I mean? like, as, like, you know what I mean? As like, you know what I mean? As unable to comprehend something, it's like that's how he used in certain ways to say like this is like... It comes
0: back to, again, it comes back to what did I do to that message? If I have done something to the message, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Yeah. That's what I'm reading loud and clear into this, is that I have no business messing with the message, with the word itself. It is, it's is—it's the sure word is what he says in this passage itself. But at the same time, as, as you're teaching, I mean, I think we we see this in Paul's message, in what like he calls out in this other passage here, and I think this really can, can, can segue into what we're seeing in the church today. So, Someone move to go to this passage here, 2 Timothy 4. We could spend days on this passage, but I feel it is critical to understand what is happening before we would start to understand the false teacher and the messaging of those false teachers. So, we, What you are getting at, Connie, how you, you know, and then what is our role in this thing. So someone read uh, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4.
2: Time will come when they will they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will weigh their ears from the truth and... they,
0: what does that mean my, my ears tickled uh, do they I
1: said he means something new also he's talking about
0: in the court, in court. W- do you want to hear what they want to hear this on the beatitude part
1: of the beatitude and he just the, the scripture it challenged the scripture but it was a piece it was hard to deal with the scripture yeah. could be wrong and then just right on this mirror exactly what we were talking about.
0: Trying to make it more interesting, Try to make it more compelling, um, you know, more more, uh, more appealing. I think all of those are uh, great examples. And so, is it prevalent then in the church today?
2: Oh, yes, yeah. yes. yes. I mean, it's
1: it's on every level. <laughs> you know, sometimes you may like, that's like you need a, that'd be like one of the biggest. it also depends on how you want to define it. It's there, it's there individually. Hot, uh, in
2: today's hot topics, you know. That you know, I just drove past a church, and and I, I hope that this church would welcome any individual, no matter where their issues are, into this place. But you know, they have a, a rainbow colored bench and a fun dollar welcome. But when you go in and hear the teaching, you know, they sort of like that's really it's not really for today, or it's not meant the way I mean, you've got teaching all the time. Too. If you are on to. You can take scripture. I don't know how you
0: blatantly say it's not,
2: that's not what the Bible teaches or says. Right? You need a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have them. <laughs> so if if, if you don't like it, if you feel like you're offending somebody, you can take Scripture and twist it or ignore it or say, oh, you know, that's not for
1: today.
0: Okay, so we're saying it. it's in the church yeah. today. Yeah, What's that. the loss?
1: Uh, how
0: How can you discern? Truth. In other words, that's what I'm saying is is that you what that's the loss. The loss is the ability to discern that. And so, if there is no foundation in, in our own lives or in our church, there's that you've lost the ability to discern.
2: Which is exactly what Satan did in Genesis three. You know, just plant that seed of doubt. You know, if if, if well, if that pastor says that that's not really what, why would you believe in?
0: Find any any reason to believe anything of the rest of this. So. Well, 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 we're gonna when we get there. So, down here, <laughs> when we get when we get get there, is that see the effectiveness of these false teachers. Mm-hmm. See that. In other words, we what we're you're describing by example even is that you've witnessed the effectiveness of that false teacher. And ultimately what we're seeing at the core is who is. It's the, the cunningness that we're seeing behind that and the effective way that I can tell you. Because, I mean, come on. When I am part of it, when I embellish something, because I'm doing it because I know that I'm saying, Mick, you look great today. But it makes it makes you feel good, right? He makes him feel good. You look stunning today. That was not that was over you. I (laughs) know. You feel good. You're doing it because you 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 receive it well. Understand that is part of this effectiveness that we see. You get pulled in.
1: I think the difference is is either you are embellishing the truth, which does not take away from the truth, it makes it more clear, or you are watering down the truth, which is a detraction from the truth.
0: Hmm. Peter goes on and he says, When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I, I just can't jump too quickly over this word that when we made known to you. Who is the we? Okay, there they are again. It is Peter as an apostle. And so this word translated known, we made known to you, it is used in the scriptures and relates specifically to the giving of revelation to those individuals. Paul himself, that he had made known to him. This is what gets passed on. It is pure revelation. And so we are simply, we're not having any special revelations. We have all the facts. Christ's power to be revealed when He returns. Where, where Peter is going to take us to, in this passage, and we are eyewitnesses. For He received from God the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to. The power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this this power and this coming, they're, they're linked and they're focused on one event, and that is his coming. And so, truth is made known to us concerning this future coming of Christ in the fullness of power and glory. So, he's coming, to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. So, Peter, it's not a story that he made up, rather, he was an eyewitness of this majesty, of Jesus' majesty he actually witnessed. And so the apostles were eyewitnesses. They saw it with their own eyes and they heard it with their own ears in verse 18. So now when we see this word majesty, it denotes this splendor, this, like a, it's a like grandeur type of word. And as Laurie said earlier, it is a reference to the transfiguration of Christ that's recorded in Matthew 17- Mark 9 and Luke 9. And it is this time when Christ was transfigured and underwent the transformation and displayed His glorious power as the Messiah, this coming Messiah, fully manifested and made clear to Peter, James, and John. And so I'd like to, in in the time that we have left and transitioning here in the next week, is that what what events do we see when we look at the transfiguration in, in Matthew 17 1 to 9, and those events that are in view in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. So if you want to keep your finger in Second Peter and skip back to, to Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, reading from chapter 17, his brother led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as a light. And behold Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him and then Peter answered and said to Jesus Lord it is good for us to be here if you if you wish let us make 3 tabernacles one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah and while he was still speaking behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear him and when the disciples heard it they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid Stop at that point. What are some of the events make a connection between that transfiguration experience and to what Peter is referencing in verses sixteen through eighteen? What would be some of the things that are in view there? That that whole that that whole acknowledgement, this honor and glory that has been given to the Son by whom? God, right? Specifically. What else? Just Observations. It's, it's an Isaiah, Isaiah type of experience or confrontation, right? Where the woe was me and this falling before. Well, why do you think Jesus took Peter, James, and John? That's the we, right? That's the we um, in Second Peter when he says the we. So clearly, we have we have these uh, this inner circle, right? I mean, but there was only there were three there. I don't, know. I don't know the answer exactly. Uh, they were definitely leaders. They were leaders among leaders. Mm-hmm. They were part of an inner circle. That's what I do know in Scripture, is that you see this common group that were there. We do know that they became very key leaders and clear spokesmen, didn't they? Yeah. they... That's a very, very important point of this, because as we look at these in view here, Peter is going to be a key spokesman, and Ian, I think you hit it because he heard it from God Himself, and it says, "Listen to Him, not Peter, but listen to God, Jesus." Now, it's interesting is, is that um, when I say just why the three, let's just ask a, a, a simple, simple, I always weird questions. Why not all 12 of them? In fact, why not just take the masses up there to witness this transfiguration experience? Play it out for me, practically. What would have happened then? What might have been different?
1: All embellished it differently.
0: Now you have 12 storytellers. Now you have 20. You know what happens when 20 people are trying to now tell the same story. Think that... I don't know, but I just maybe there's some truth to that. Because as I look at the key writers of this, and the fact is, is that the Holy Spirit clearly, with Revelation, spoke through these men. When you think about the the mis, misunderstanding about the Messiah itself with the Jews, you have the masses involved, and now you have an army of people that are looking at this thing differently. It, it's just like chaos. So it was, uh, you see, God just con- managed this. I would liken it to where often Jesus would say, no, no, don't tell anybody yet. And what he did, he did that intentionally to be able to control sovereignly his plan. And I, I, In
1: essence, he, God stepped those three people, those three key people, up to their own mountaintop of believability. Highest level of believability. They saw it, they heard it personally. They could now speak knowledgeably of what they personally would have for the long
0: Interesting purpose. thoughts, isn't it? Yeah. We, we have one, because it, it, it is, even in John's um, future. Descriptions, you know, all that part of it, and but yet we see here in Second Peter, at the close of his life, how credible, how credible that testimony was to his readers, and he's bringing us to that place. And so, I believe that it was a life-changing experience for Peter, and we're seeing that transformation that occurred. All of the scriptures came to understanding, because think about what did, what did they have. So let's say he's 60s and or 70. You know, I don't know exactly, we old he is at this point. But yet, what you have is you have all this experience in the interim that's occurred, but you also have all the other writings. Everything is coming together. I think it was a life changing. So I'm going to stop at this point here, and we're going to pick back up. As we start to transition this now into um, next week, with re- aspect of the, pro- the prophecy of the prophetic word aspect of it. So, a plan. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Amen to that. All good, Mick. It's good to have you back. And I, I can ask you if you could close this in prayer. That would be great. Thank you.
1: You made the plan. All of these false teachers—they can't merge.
0: Amen. Thank you. See everyone next week.